This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. First and Last by Hilaire Belloc. Chapter 12 St. Patrick. If there is one thing that people who are not Catholic have gone wrong upon more than another in any intellectual things of life, it is the conception of a personality. They are muddled about it where their own little selves are concerned. They misappreciate it when they deal with the problems of society, and they have a very weak hold of it when they consider, if they do consider, the nature of Almighty God. Now personality is everything. It was a personal will that made all things visible and invisible. Our hope of immortality resides in this, that we are persons, and half our frailties proceed from misapprehension of the awful responsibilities which a personality involves, or a cowardly ignorance of its powers of self-government. The hundred and one errors which this main error leads to include a bad error on the nature of history. Your modern non-Catholic or anti-Catholic historian is always misunderstanding, underestimating, or muddling the role played in the affairs of men by great and individual personalities. That is why he is so lamentably weak upon the function of legend. That is why he makes a fetish of documentary evidence and has no grip upon the value of tradition. For traditions spring from some personality, invariably, and the function of legend, whether it be a rigidly true legend or one tinged with make-believe, is to interpret personality. Legends have vitality and continue because in their origin they so exactly serve to explain or illustrate some personal character in a man which no cold statement could give. Now St. Patrick, the whole story and effect of him, is a matter of personality. There was once, twenty or thirty years ago, a whole school of dunderheads who wondered whether St. Patrick ever existed, because the mass of legends surrounding his name troubled them. How on earth, one wonders, do such scholars consider their fellow beings? Have they ever seen a crowd cheering a popular hero, or noticed the expression upon men's faces when they spoke of some friend of striking power, recently dead? A great growth of legends around a man is the very best proof you could have, not only of his existence, but of the fact that he was an origin and a beginning, and that things sprang from his will or his vision. There were some who seemed to think it was a kind of favor done to the indestructible body of Irish Catholicism when Mr. Burry wrote his learned Protestant book upon St. Patrick. It was a critical and very careful bit of work, and it was deservedly praised. But the favor done us I could not see. It is all to the advantage of non-Catholic history that it should be sane, and that a great Protestant historian should make true history out of a great historical figure was a very good sign. It was a long step back towards common sense compared with the German absurdities which had left their victims doubting almost all the solid foundation of the European story. But as for us, Catholics, we had no need to be told it. Not only was there a St. Patrick in history, but there is a St. Patrick on the shores of his eastern sea 
and throughout all Ireland today. It is a presence that stares you in the face, and physically almost haunts you. Let a man sail among the Leinster coast on such a day as renders the Wicklow Mountains clear up weather behind him, and the Mourne Mountains, perhaps in storm, lifted clearly above the sea down the wind. He is taking some such course as that upon which St. Patrick sailed, and if he will land from time to time from his little boat at the end of each day's sailing, and hear mass in the morning before he sails further northward, he will know in what way St. Patrick inhabits the soil which he rendered sacred. We know that among the marks of holiness is the working of miracles. Ireland is the greatest miracle any saint ever worked. It is a miracle and a nexus of miracles. Among other miracles it is a nation raised from the dead. The preservation of the faith by the Irish is an historical miracle comparable to nothing else in Europe. There never was, and please God never can be, so prolonged and insanely violent a persecution of men by their fellow men as was undertaken for centuries against the faith in Ireland, and it has completely failed. I know of no example in history of failure following upon such effort. It had behind it in combination the two most powerful of the evil passions of men, terror and greed. And so amazing is it that they did not attain their end, that perpetually, as one reads, one finds the authors of the dreadful business, now at one period, now at another, assuming with certitude that their success is achieved. Then, after centuries, it is almost suddenly perceived, and in our own time, that it has not been achieved, and never will be. What a complexity of strange coincidences combined, coming out of nothing, as it were, advancing like spirits summoned onto the stage, all to effect this end. Think of the American colonies. With one little exception, they were perhaps the most completely non-Catholic society of their time. Their successful rebellion against the mother country meant many things, and led to many prophecies. Who could have guessed that one of its chief results would be the furnishing of a free refuge for the Irish. The famine, all human opinion imagined, and all human judgment was bound to conclude, was a mortal wound, coming in as the ally of the vile persecution I have named. It has turned out the very contrary. From it there springs indirectly the dispersion and that power which comes from unity in dispersion of Irish Catholicism who, looking at the huge financial power that dominated Europe, and England in particular, during the youth of our own generation, could have dreamt that in any corner of Europe, least of all in the poorest and most ruined corner of Christendom, an effective resistance could be raised. Behind the enemies of Ireland, furnishing them with all their modern strength, was that base and secret master of modern things, the usurer. He it was far more than the gentry of the island who demanded toll, and through the mortgages on the Irish estates had determined to drain Ireland as he has drained and rendered desert so much else. Is it not a miracle that he has failed? Ireland is a nation risen from the dead, and to raise one man from the dead is surely miraculous enough to convince one of the power of a great spirit. 
This miracle, as I am prepared to believe, is the last and the greatest of St. Patrick's. When I was last in Ireland, I brought in the town of Wexford a coloured picture of St. Patrick which greatly pleased me. Most of it was green in colour, and St. Patrick wore a mitre and had a crozier in his hand. He was turning into the sea a number of nasty reptiles, snakes and toads and the rest. I bought this picture because it seemed to me as modern a piece of symbolism as ever I had seen, and that was why I bought it for my children and my home. There was a few pence change, but I did not want it. The person who sold me the picture said they would spend the change in candles for St. Patrick's altar. So St. Patrick is still alive. The End of Chapter 12